today, we have got a lot to cover. Uh, there's a lot of things we have to kind of discuss. And so today, you know, rather I thought, do I preach to you or do I just tell the story? And I thought I'm just going to tell the story uh, because there's just so much to cover. And every so often I'm going to stop and might talk about a lesson that we could learn from this story. Um, but I need you to pay attention because there's a lot of stuff going on. And so while we're going through this, through the story, just kind of pay attention to see how you would behave in this sort of situation. What would you do? How would you react? But last week, we, we left Moses. Um, he had met with God at a burning bush. God had showed up as a, in the burning bush and spoke to him and basically told Moses, he said, Moses, listen, I want to use you to go to my people in Egypt because I've heard their cries and I want to rescue them. And so, long story short, Moses and his brother Aaron, they go to Egypt and they show up to the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, and they say, listen, God has heard your cries and he wants to rescue you and he's going to rescue you. And, and so the, the elders of Israel, they fell down upon you know, the ground and they began to worship God. They were so thrilled to know that God had heard their cries and that he was gonna finally rescue them from this horrific slavery that they were in. Well, at this point, God had told Moses and Aaron, he says, listen, the first thing I want to do with my people is I want them to come out of Egypt and go out into the desert for three days and uh, to a place where I tell them to go, and I want them to worship me for three days. And so you need to go to Pharaoh and tell him that that's what you want to happen that he needs to release the people of Israel to go out and worship God. And so Moses and Aaron, they come before Pharaoh and they stand before him and um, they talk to Pharaoh and they said, Pharaoh, listen, here's the deal. We represent the nation of Israel. We represent the Hebrew people and our God, the God of, of, of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is asking for his people to be released to go out and worship him in the desert. And Pharaoh looked them in the eye and said, why should I listen to your God? Who is your God anyways? Why in the world would I listen to you? No. There is no way I'm going to let your people go out into the desert and worship God. This is not going to happen. In fact, I can't believe you're even asking me this. The fact that you're asking me that you want to go away to this little three-day vacation in the desert means that you guys must not be working hard enough. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you guys... Instead of the Egyptians providing the straw to make the brick, I'm going to make all you Hebrew people go out and collect the straw and make the brick. And you know what? I'm going to require that you make the same amount of brick that you have been making every other day. So get out there and do that. So that's exactly what happened. The Hebrew people the next day had to go out and they ran out into the desert and they're collecting all the straw and they're trying to make the brick. Well, as you would guess, there is no way that they can make enough brick. They can't make the quota or the number that, the, that Pharaoh wanted them to make. And so the beatings began. The slave masters were beating them and beating them and whipping them and whipping them and yelling at them like, you need to make more brick, you need to make more brick. And the people were just getting more and more frustrated and beaten, and it's just getting bad. Finally, at one point, two of the foremen from the Hebrew people went before Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh... Man, I don't know what to tell you, bro, but you're going to have to change this because there is no way that we can make that same amount of brick if we have to go out and collect the straw, too. It's just not going to happen. There's no way that can happen. So you have to change it. Can you please have mercy on us? And Pharaoh looked at those two guys and said, no, I'm not going to have mercy on you. There's no way I'm going to change my mind. You need to make the brick the same amount, and you need to collect the straw. Now get going, you bunch of lazy people. 
And so on the way out, these two people, they bump into Moses and Aaron. And the foreman look at, looks at Moses and Moses, I hope God deals with you ever so severely for doing this to, you, to our people. Ever since you came, things have gotten worse. So thanks a lot. And he walks off. Now at that point, when Moses heard that, he kind of sunk into a little mini depression. Into a little pity party. And he began to just really get upset. And look at what he says in Exodus 5, 22. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why? Why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Moses is having a really rough day here. It's almost like all the fears that he had are all coming into realization. I mean, he's just like, man, this is, this is what I was scared of, that God wasn't going to hold up his end of the deal. And he's like, and he starts to get a little snotty with God. He's like, God, is this why you brought me here to make a fool out of me? I mean, really? Really, God? You're not doing what you said you would be doing. What is going on? And you know, I wonder, guys, how many times we've been there in our life where you're doing exactly what you feel like God has asked you to do. And you look at God and you say, God, I'm doing my part. You're not doing your thing. You're not doing one single thing. You aren't doing what you said you were going to do. Is this why you're having me do this so you can make a fool out of me? Really, God? Really? And we get upset at God. And we challenge God. And we challenge his word. And we, we question his truthfulness. And we begin to doubt. And I want to just stop there for a second and talk about that. Guys, we've talked about this before, but I want to reiterate. I want to talk about this again because it's an important point. Listen to me. We begin to doubt when we start to look at the seen world around us. That's when doubt begins to creep in. When we begin to look at the wind and the waves crashing down around us, when we start to look at all the things going on in the seen world, we begin to doubt. And that's what's happening with Moses. Moses is focusing on what's going on in the scene world. The people are suffering more. They're having to make more bricks. They're having to collect a straw. They're getting more beatings. It's getting worse and worse and worse. And because things look bad, he begins to question the goodness of God. And he's saying, God, are you really a good God? And he begins to question the truthfulness of God. And he begins to question whether God is really going to live up to what he said he was going to do. And what you need to see, kids and adults here, is that Moses is not living by faith here. He's not focusing on the unseen reality of God and his kingdom. He's focusing on the physical world. And it's messing with him, and doubt is creeping up. And guys, that same thing applies to you and me. We cannot let the storm raging all around us cause us to question the goodness of God. We just can't. We can't let it cause us to question his truthfulness or the reality that God is working in spite of what we might be seeing because the truth is God is working. Amen? God's word is true and he will do whatever he says he will do. God is working in your situation. You need to hear that today because you might be sitting here going, man, I don't think God is working. No, he is working problem is, is you're looking at the seen world, the physical world, and you're letting doubt creep in. Don't do that. God is a God of his word. 
And he's working in Moses' situation too. It's just he's not moving as fast as maybe Moses was hoping. And so Moses gets upset. But God reassures Moses. He says, Moses, relax. I am working. You're going to be seeing what I'm going to do. So just watch. Just continue to trust me. And so Moses and Aaron, once again, at God's command, they go to show up before Pharaoh again. And they say, Pharaoh, we demand that you let our people go to go out and to worship in the desert. And Pharaoh once again looks at them and said, why should I listen to you? Two little pipsqueaks like you, there's no way I'm going to listen to you. And so Aaron takes his staff and he throws it down on the ground. And does anybody know what happened to that staff? It turned into a, a snake. Now I practice and practice and practice to do that and it just didn't work. So we're going to have to use your imagination. But imagine being in that room when Moses throw, or Aaron throws down the staff and instantly, whoosh, big cobra or whatever snake it was, you know, looks around. Imagine seeing that. Well, here's the crazy thing. All of Pharaoh's magicians, they stood up, they threw their staffs down on the ground, and guess what happened? They turned into snakes. And so I'm sure Pharaoh was like, eh, I can do the same thing, buddy. You think you're tough and all? You think your God's tough? Well, guess what Aaron's, Aaron's snake did? Aaron's snake went around and went chomp, 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 ate all the other snakes on the ground, ate up all of them. Now, I don't know how big it got and how thick and juicy it was, but when Aaron picked the staff back up, it must have been a huge staff. And he's like, yeah, that's my God. And it was proof to showing that God, the God of Israel, is the most high God. And that these little weenie things that they're trying to believe in and trust in, they're nothing like God, the, the God of Israel. Well, you would think that would make Pharaoh go, okay, I'll let him go out. But he says, no, I'm not going to let, let the people go. And so when, when Moses goes home that night, God speaks to Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to go out and I want you to meet. I want you to meet Pharaoh on the edge of the Nile in the morning. Every morning, Pharaoh would go down to the Nile. I don't know if he was taking a bath or what he was doing. He says, I want you to meet him there. And when you meet him there, demand that the people be released. And if he doesn't, I want you to strike the first plague. So Moses meets Pharaoh out there on the edge of the Nile, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I've already told you, I'm not going to let your people go. And so Moses raises his hand, and the entire Nile River turns to blood. And not only the Nile River, but all the water in the area, it all turns to blood. And it's a little bit like you guys who think, you know, your water is your favorite beverage, and you're sitting here, you're working hard, and you're like, oh, i got to get my water. And you look down at your water bottle, and you're like, Oh my word, what just happened? Everything turned to blood. And you couldn't drink it. In fact, it says in Scripture that the Egyptians were going alongside of the Nile River and they're digging, trying to dig wells so that they could get water. It's such a desperate situation. Well, eventually Pharaoh's like, okay, I could time out. All right, I'll let your people go if you ask your God to remove this plague and all the blood will turn back into water. And so Moses says, okay, I'll do that. So he says, God, can you please reverse it? And sure enough, God turns all the blood back into water. And he comes to Pharaoh and he says, all right, did it. And guess what Pharaoh does? Changes his mind. He says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And he goes, nah, you know what? You're not allowed to take the people. They're not allowed, not allowed to go. So God says, all right, Moses, I want you to call forth all the, all the frogs out of the Nile River. And so Moses raises his hand, all the frogs come climbing out of the Nile River, and they are everywhere. Kind of like this morning when you came to church and you saw these frogs laying everywhere. Probably way worse. How many of you guys came this morning and thought we need to hire a new janitor? 
Yeah. <clears throat> um, in the, I don't know if I should share this or not, but in the men's bathroom, I threw a couple in the urinal and one on, on top. Well, somebody put this little piece of paper that says, Hi, Luke, by the frog. So you'll have to, I don't know who did it, but you know who you are. <clears throat> but imagine, man, there's just frogs everywhere jumping and the noise and they're getting stepped on and guts are everywhere and it's gross and nasty. And, you know, I, I remember in, in Columbia, we had these frogs. They were tree frogs. You guys ever seen a tree frog before? In Columbia, they're, they're, they're kind of pasty white and soft and sticky and nasty, but when they would jump on something, they would turn the color of whatever they jumped on. They were kind of like chameleons. And they were great because their feet were covered in this little sticky gel that they could be on a roof and they could hang. They could hang on anything. And what we little boys would do is we'd take our little tree frog and we'd throw it in girls' hair. And they'd get stuck in the hair and the girls would scream. And it was just our little way to flirt with girls. And we really thought that was awesome. But imagine that. I mean, frogs are everywhere, climbing in bed, climbing on the sea. I mean, they're just everywhere. And Pharaoh has had it up to here, and he's like, all right, Moses, call it off. Talk to your God. Have them end this whole thing. This is gross. This is, this is terrible. And so Moses says, okay, God, please remove the frogs. Well, I guess all the frogs died. Instead of, you know, running back in the Nile, they died, and they had to heap them up in the piles, and it was probably gross, but the plague was at least gone. Well, then Pharaoh's like, well, you know what? I'm not going to let your people go. So God says, okay, Pharaoh, here's what I want you to do. Strike the next plague. Raise your hands, and I'm going to cause all the dust of the desert to become gnats. And these gnats came into the land of Egypt by the swarms, biting gnats. Now, how many of you guys have been around biting gnats? Aren't they horrible? They're terrible. Down in Venezuela, we lived in a place called Tamatama, and it was right on the banks of the Orinoco River. And right there, there were just terrible biting gnats. I mean, gnats everywhere. You had to wear long sleeve shirts, kind of like hold your collar up or wear a turtleneck in 100 degree weather. It was so hot. Wear a hat and, you know, put stuff in. Because they would get everywhere your skin was and they would bite and then it would itch and then it'd get infected and then it would, you know, get bad. And that's how it was. Well, that's what's going on in Egypt. It's just all over the place and people are getting pestered by these gnats. Then God says, all right, Moses, I don't think that's enough. What I want you to do is I want you to raise your hand and call forth flies. And so sure enough, these huge swarms of flies began to come up out of the south and covered all over the land of Egypt. And flies are falling everywhere, and they're, they're dropping in their hair, and they're dropping everywhere. And, and it's just, it's nasty, and it's like, you know, they're all over the place. And I don't know if you guys are like this or not, if you grew up being told this, but when I was in school, they told us how flies, I got a little cup full of flies up here. You guys know what that's, so you can feel what it is. But uh, <clears throat> um, we were told in school that what a fly does is that when it lands on whatever it lands on, it throws up a little bit. It vomits, and then it licks it back up. Now, that's gross enough, but what are flies usually on before they land on your food? Little piles in your yard that your dog leaves behind. So when you're eating a little nacho and a fly comes and lands on your nacho, you know that he's thrown up what he just ate and he threw it up on your nacho and now he's trying to lick it back up. Ever since I heard that, I hate flies. A little sucker lands on it, I'm like, oh, I'm not eating that. That's gross. I think it's fly throw up, fly vomit. That's disgusting. Well, this is going on all over Egypt. 
I mean, flies are throwing up on their food and, you know, licking it back up. and they're Now, here's the crazy thing. This is what I think is funny. This was only happening to the Egyptian people. God kept the flies away from the Hebrew people only from, and they were only bothering the, the Egyptian people, which I think that would have been so awesome. While the Hebrew people are making the bricks and doing everything, the taskmasters, they're like, you know, and they're just working. They're like, oh, poor guy. And, and, you know, probably laughing at him. It's a little bit like, you know, do you ever go into the woods with a group of people and uh, mosquitoes are all over the place and they're biting you and you're slapping you or whatever? Well, there's always this one guy that I don't know if they eat a lot of garlic or cyanide or whatever, but the mosquitoes just leave him alone. They're like, oh, what a beautiful day out here. And you're getting eaten alive and then they're leaving him alone. That's what's going on. The flies are bothering the Egyptians, but not the Hebrew people. Well, finally after that, I think Pharaoh had, had enough. He says, fine, I give. Moses, please tell your God to ask these flies and gnats to leave. Set us free from this plague. This is horrible. And I'll let your people go. But you know what? I'll let them go, but they can't go far. So Moses says, okay. And he says, God, would you please you know, pull back the flies and the gnats? And so that's exactly what he did. And as soon as they all left, guess what Pharaoh did? Changed his mind, hardened his heart. He said, you know what? Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna let you guys go. So God says, all right, Moses, I want you to raise your hand and call forth the next plague. And the next plague was all the animals died. All the cattle, all the sheep, all the goats, all their probably chickens, everything. Everything dropped dead. And can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, guys, this, this isn't just gross and the smell of death everywhere. This is a food source. So a lot of their food was just dropping dead. A lot of their um, you know, commerce, the way they would make money was dropping dead. And these animals are everywhere. And when dead animals set in, the vultures come in and imagine the disease beginning to spread. It was gross. And then God says, Moses, I want you to do another thing. I want you to take handfuls of soot out of the furnace and I want you to throw it up into the air. And when you throw it up into the air and it begins to fall all over, it's going to cause boils to come over all the Egyptian people. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. The Egyptians broke out and all these festering boils all over their skin. And it was gross and it was nasty. How many of you guys have ever had a boil before? A few of us, okay. Um, they are terrible. If you've never had a boil before, they're these gigantic, huge bumps of infection that grow on your skin. I don't know where they come. They, I've been told they get in your blood and it's, you can always get them. But I used to get them like crazy in Columbia. And uh, um, every once in a while, I'd have like two or three of them. And when you get them so bad, you, you can hardly walk. I remember I'd have to like hop on one leg because it hurt so bad. And one time I had this dude, it was like the king boil. And it was right there. And it was this big, huge, huge sucker. And all the little servant boils were all around it. There was like six or seven little boils around. And my leg hurt so bad, I couldn't get up, I couldn't walk, I couldn't do anything. It was miserable. And my dad, bless his heart, came up with this really good idea of how to get rid of boils, of how to get rid of the infection. And I know it's a little gross, so just kind of hang with me here. But dad, he would put a ketchup bottle, you know, a glass bottle into water, and he would boil the water and get the ketchup bottle really hot. 
Then he'd take it out, kind of let it cool a bit, and he would shove it on the top of the boil, and as the bottle would cool, it would create this suction, and it would suck all the gunk out of the boil into the bottle. I don't know where Dad came up with that, but it worked. But it hurt like crazy. It was miserable. In fact, I have one little traumatic memory that I probably need counseling for. Um, one night I was sound asleep and I had a huge boil on my head. And dad got it in his head like, hey, we gotta get rid of this boil. And so he boiled the bottle, got it all ready, and then came behind me, put me in a headlock, shoved the bottle on, and he's hanging and I wake up to him like, ah! You know, and dad sucked the gunk out and helped my boil. So if you get a boil, that's what you need to do with it. Um, then Moses came to, to, to Pharaoh again. He says, all right, Pharaoh, um, how long are you going to stand against God? How long are you going to just shake your fist at him and do battle against God? Because it's just going to keep going. And he says, listen, by this time tomorrow, if you don't relent and let my people go, God is going to bring a hailstorm onto this land of a magnitude that you have never seen in all the life of Egypt. It will be huge and devastating. And it'll be so bad that you need to tell your Egyptians that listen, you need to get all your animals inside, you need to get your slaves inside because if you leave them out, they will, they will die. It will kill them. Well, at this point, the officials of Pharaoh are, you know, they're, they're having quite enough of all this thing. And they're kind of looking at Pharaoh going, Pharaoh, how dense are you, dude? I mean, how long are you going to let this go? In fact, they tell him this. They say this. Um, how long will this man, Moses, be a snare to us? Let the people go so they may worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize that Egypt is ruined? They're looking at Pharaoh and saying, Pharaoh, I don't, I don't know how long you're going to let this go, bro. But, I mean, look around. This country is in absolute ruins, all because you refuse to let these people go and worship their Lord and God. Let them go. I mean, how hard is it? Well, Pharaoh finally goes, okay, well, you know what? I will let them go, but you know what? You can't take the women and children. You can only take the men. And, Pharaoh, and Moses goes, sorry, Pharaoh, that's not good enough. We need to take all the, all the women and children, all the men, everybody, everyone needs to go. And Pharaoh gets taken and says, you know what? Forget you then. You can't take anybody. And so, God, and so Moses says, okay, that's the way it's going to go. And a hailstorm came the next day and just pummeled the land of Egypt. I mean destroyed the land of Egypt. And the people that feared God, they got their animals in and their slaves in, they lived. But those who ignored them, they were all killed in the hailstorm. And it created all this damage and all this destruction. And eventually, Pharaoh was like, okay, okay, I'll let your people go. And then as soon as the hailstorm stopped, he changed his mind, he hardened his heart. And so God says, all right, Moses, I want you to call forth locusts from the land. And so this huge swarm of locusts come flying into Egypt. And guys, whatever the hailstorm didn't destroy, the locusts destroyed. How many of you guys have been in a locust plague before, anybody? You have? It apparently, it's just, it's like clouds, dark clouds, and they come and they will ravage every leaf, every limb, every everything, and just utterly destroy it. And that's what they did to Egypt. And at this point, 
Pharaoh finally goes, okay, okay, I give. He goes, I realize that I, 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 you know, I must be, I must be sinning against God and you know, doing things wrong. Can you please remove the locusts? And so Moses called forth you know, to God and says, God, remove the locusts. And all the locusts flew away. It says that not one locust was left in the land of Egypt. And then once again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. And he changes his mind again. And so God says, all right, I want you to call forth darkness upon the land. And this darkness hit the land of Egypt that was just so dark, it says in Scripture, that nobody could see anything. They couldn't see each other. They couldn't see anything. Has anybody ever been in a cave before? Where they, did you ever do that exercise where they have you turn off all the lights and just look around? Guys, it is terrifying. You get in there and you cannot see a thing. That's what's going on in Egypt. It is utter, utter darkness. And it lasts for three days until finally Pharaoh gives in. He says, all right, all right, I give up. Here's what you can do. You can take your people, all your men, women, children, take them all, but you got to leave your animals. And Moses said, I'm sorry, Pharaoh, but that is not going to fly. We have to take our animals. We may use them for sacrifice. We might use them in our, in our worship to God. And so we need to take everything with us out into the desert. And at that, Pharaoh gets ticked off. And he says, you know what? I am so sick and tired of this. No, you're not allowed to take anybody. In fact, Moses, I never want to see your face again in this court. If I see your face again, I'm going to kill you. And that's where we're going to end the story today. And the reason we're going to end the story is because the very next plague is one of the biggest, most important plagues. And the next plague has significance for you and I. And we're going to talk about that next week. In fact, I just want to say this to you. I know we handed you out little bookmarks with what we're going to talk each week. Because this is such a long sermon, we're going to have to carry in the next week. We probably are going to have to slash one of the stories that are on that bookmark. So you can just sharpie that out whenever we figure out which one that is. But next week, we're going to talk about the final plague. But I want to just stop here for a second. And I want us just to kind of look at this story and see if there might be something that we can learn from it. In fact, put us ourselves into this story and see where we might see ourselves in it. But there's this statement that's going on that happens over, if you were to read Scripture, I know I told you the story, but if you were to read Scripture, you would see this statement over and over. And I'm just going to read this statement in, that's found in a bunch of the verses. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. When Pharaoh saw the rain and the hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again, and he and his officials hardened their heart. Over and over, we see Pharaoh has hardened his heart. Now, kids, I want to talk to you for a second. I want to ask you this question. Kids, what do you think it means to have a hard heart? What does it mean to have a hardened heart? What do you think it means? Stubborn. That's a great answer. Any other answers? Not caring. Great answer. One more. Angry. Very good. That's exactly right. A hardened heart um, here's, a, I think, a great definition of what a hardened heart is. A hard heart is a heart that is in battle against God. It's a heart that says, I don't care what you say, God. I'm doing it my way. I don't care what you say, God. 
I believe this. I don't care what you say, God. I want it my way. It's a heart that stands up to God and says, nope, I'm doing it my way, not your way. And kids and adults, let me just warn you, a hard heart is a very scary thing. You don't want it. You don't want it. You want to know why? Let me show you. Here's a passage in Proverbs. It says this. It says, keep vigilant watch over your heart. In other words, really guard your heart. Pay attention to your heart. Now, why do we need to do that? Because that's where life starts. Our heart is a very important thing. Life starts in your heart, and a gentle, beautiful, kind, loving, obedient heart brings forth life. But let me tell you guys, if you let your heart grow hardened, it will destroy and it will bring death to not only you, but to those around you. Take a look at Pharaoh. Look at the death surrounding him. Don't let your heart grow hardened, because guys, it only leads to trouble and ruin. Let me show you this verse. Another verse in Proverbs, it says, Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord. But he who hardens his heart, let's read it all out loud together, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. A hardened heart causes you to fall into trouble, but blessed is the man who fears the Lord. He fears the Lord. Now, remember, adults, we talked about this at the beginning of the summer, what it means to fear the Lord. And to fear the Lord simply means this, is to realize that God is not mean, but he is what? He's dangerous. God is not mean, but he is dangerous. To fear God is the complete opposite of a hardened heart. To fear God means to say, God, you're right. I believe you. I'm going to do it your way, not mine. It's the complete opposite of a hardened heart. And so as I'm going to leave you with this, where are you? In this story, do you find maybe that you've started to develop a hardened heart against God? You know, we, we look at Pharaoh here, and I don't know about you, but when I look at Pharaoh, I just think this guy's he's a little thick between the ears. He's got a bit of a moron that he's not catching on here, that he needs to start listening to what God says. But you know what? We need to ask ourselves the question. Don't we do the same thing? You ever find yourself ignoring God, blowing off what he's saying and telling you to do? Or, or we say this to, to God, we say, God, you know what, I'll start following you tomorrow. Today I just wanna do what I wanna do. Tomorrow I'll start. And then tomorrow comes and we're like, you know what, Monday, I'll start Monday. Today I just wanna do what I wanna do. Or we say, God, if you do this in my life, then fine, I will obey you and do whatever. And God does it, and then we say, eh, you know what, I changed my mind. That's a hard heart. We need to ask ourselves, are we wanting to do things our way or his way? And so guys, I just want to end with this. There's a verse in Hebrews that says this. It says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Truth is, guys, God is speaking to us. If we listen, we hear him. I just want to encourage you, do not harden your heart because it only leads to trouble and it only leads to ruin to not only you but to those around you. You do not want your life to look like Pharaoh. 
and the nation of Egypt. Because of one man, one man in his hardened heart, it brought destruction to a whole land. Now, let's fear God and let's do what he says. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this story. What a convicting story. Because God, truth is, we all struggle with a hardened heart from time to time where we want to do things our way. Where we change our mind all the time and we choose not to obey you. And God, forgive us. I pray that every person in here, boy and girl and man and woman, that we might become people who fear you, God. And have soft, gentle, loving, obedient hearts, not hardened ones. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, love you so very, very much. If anybody would like prayer, please come up and Linda would pray for you. Kids, if you get 20 frogs, 20 flies, come up and I'll give you a piece of candy.